Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When the wicked turns away from their sin, God says they will live. That's God's heart. That's his desire. And we can't. And the best way to not forget it is just think about yourself. God had mercy on me. You know, whenever I want to look at a group of people or a person and just think, gosh, judge them. I got to stop and go, wait a second. Were it not for the grace of God, I would be right there. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 12 through 19. Now, here's Pastor Brian. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That passage has kind of, it's kind of been the description of what God has done with Calvary Chapel over the years now. Taken a, you know, bunch of young men who didn't have the noble background didn't come from, you know, highly educated places or any of that stuff. And, and, you know, took them and blessed them and gave them many blessings and big churches and all kinds of great things. And sometimes what the problem is, though, is you forget that. And the point is God has chosen the foolish things. When God takes a foolish thing and elevates somebody and blesses them and, you know, makes them wise in a sense. The, the thing is, we can never forget that, that, no, this is because of God. This isn't because of me. I didn't do this for myself. And it's when you forget that, that's when, that's when you're tumbling down into the pit. So that's essentially what chapter 16 is dealing with. And so from verse 15 on, as God says, you trusted in your beauty, then he goes on and he just describes the prostitution. In um, verse 20, he said, your prostitution was not enough. You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. And so they not only worshiped the idols, but they engaged in child sacrifice things of this nature. And then as you go down through to verse 29, he mentions the Egyptians, he mentions the Philistines, he mentions the Assyrians, and then finally the Babylonians, a land of merchants. But even with this, you were not satisfied. So these are all of the lovers, so to speak, that they had. They engaged in the idolatries of all of these different nations. And then if we jump over to um, verse 44, we come back. Everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter, you are a true daughter of your mother who despised her husband and her children. And you are a true sister of your sisters who despised their husbands and their children. Then your mother was a Hittite, your father was an Amorite. Your older sister was Samaria. Now, Samaria was the northern kingdom that has already been taken in 722, already taken into captivity. So they're gone because of their idolatry. God delivered them over to the Assyrians. But then he says, 
not only was your sister Samaria in the north, but then he says your younger sister who lived in the south of you with her daughter was Sodom. Oh, wow. So here God is comparing Judah to Sodom. Now, if you remember from Genesis chapter 19, you remember what happened to Sodom. Sodom was destroyed. And Sodom becomes one of those proverbial places where because of its wickedness, God destroyed it. Jesus even mentions uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in his ministry. And so now he is comparing Judah and Jerusalem to Sodom. You not only followed their ways and copied their detestable practices, but in all your ways, you soon became more depraved than they. So I think it's hard for us to even comprehend the level of evil that we're talking about here. I mean, I, I don't even think we, we can, we could find some places today where it's probably similar kinds of things going on. But this is, this is evil on a level that is just, it's beyond comprehension almost. It's that kind of evil. Child sacrifice, every imaginable kind of perversion. You know, all you have to do is go back and read parts of Leviticus or parts of Deuteronomy, you know, where God describes the behavior of the Canaanites. You know, I mean, they were having sex with animals. They were into all kinds, you know, witchcraft and sorcery. They were into all of that. I mean, that was just part of their culture. And the whole culture was corrupted. And now this is where Jerusalem has come to. They've come to the same depraved place that the other nations, and God is saying that they've actually surpassed them in depravity. That's pretty unbelievable. Now, verse 49 says this, and I just want to touch on this for a quick second. It's off the topic, but it's just important to note this. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Now, the reason I want to point this out is not related to anything we're talking about. But, you know, today we have obviously a major emphasis in the culture on LGBT and you know, LGBT, every, everything, right? You know, the, the push for absolute equality and everything and so forth, and the government's involved in it, the courts are involved in it. And it, it's basically an imposition of LGBT rights and so forth on the rest of the culture. And so in the LGBT community, you have some people who are identify as Christian. They feel like my sexuality is not an issue with God. I can, you know, God doesn't care if I'm same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted. And then, so in, in that world, you know, where the church and the LGBT community meets, you have LGBT apologists. You have people who will argue a case for same-sex relations being 
perfectly Christian and completely acceptable to God. And of course, the arguments are always around the fact that the Bible doesn't really speak against these kinds of relationships. And where it seems like it does is just because we don't understand the culture and we don't get what they're really saying. But, you know, somehow these apologists have discovered something that nobody else for thousands of years have discovered about what was really meant by these statements. But this statement here is one of them. Because the term sodomy or sodomite is a reference to homosexual sex, male homosexual sex, and it is related back to what? It's related back to Sodom. And we read in the text in Genesis that when the angels came to Sodom, the men of Sodom, the wicked men of Sodom, they came to the home of Lot and they said, bring these men out here so we can have sex with them. And then you know the story. God destroys Sodom. I mean, he sent the angels there to do that in the first place. So the idea then is that it was the sexual sin that brought about the judgment of God on Sodom. And so the LGBT apologist says, no, no, no. See, that's not why Sodom was destroyed. Sodom was destroyed, it tells us right here, because her daughters were arrogant, was destroyed for pride, uh, they were overfed, they, they were gluttonous, they had plenty, and they were unconcerned, or they were, um, the idea is that they were bored, you know, it's just, Life, life had just become so easy and so they had no concern for the poor and the needy and so this is why Sodom was destroyed. It wasn't destroyed over any sexual thing. But if you just read verse 50, you find that there was something else going on. They were haughty and they did detestable things before me. The older translation reads abominable things before me. Detestable is the same meaning, but, you know, it's just a a different word that's used here. But the New Testament clarifies to us, the book of Jude tells us exactly why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They were destroyed because of sexual immorality. So, yes, they had pride. They were fat, overfed. You know, they had, they had plenty and they, you know, just didn't have anything to do with their time. And so they neglected the poor. They didn't care. They were a completely self-centered type of a society. That's all true. But it's also true that that then led them into detestable behaviors And all of those things together were what brought the judgment of God on Sodom. It wasn't just the sin, the sexual sin, but it certainly was part of it. And so, again, I'm sharing this with you in a sense more as an apologetic for you because if you get in a conversation with somebody who's done some of their own homework about this, I've heard this many times before, you know, Sodom was not destroyed because of the homosexuality. And they go right to this Ezekiel passage. So just so you know, if someone happens to 
tell you that, you can say, well, let's look at the passage and let's see what it says because it says more than they want to think that it says. And, of course, we have to compare the other texts that refer to Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction, and then we get the full picture, and Jude really gives us the, the full and clear picture on it. So, so that's our apologetic lesson. Chapter 17. Chapter 17 is a parable. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set forth an allegory and tell it to the Israelites as a parable. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. A great eagle with powerful wings, long feathers and full plumage of varied colors came to Lebanon, taking hold of the top of a cedar. He broke off its topmost shoot and carried it away to a land of merchants where he planted it in a city of traders. And so... Verse 11, then the word of the Lord came to me, say to this rebellious people, do you not know what these things mean? Say to them, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and carried off her king and her nobles, bringing them back with him to Babylon. Verse 15, but the king rebelled against him by sending his envoys to Egypt. So now we're back to talking about Zedekiah again. So so remember, we talked Zedekiah is gonna be blindfolded or, you know, he's going to have his eyes put out, all of that. But now, so he's prophesied his end, but now he's backing up a little bit in the history and he's speaking about another thing that Zedekiah did. So remember, he is the vassal of Nebuchadnezzar. But listen to what it says in verse 15. It says that the king rebelled against him. So Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. That's what it's talking about. And he sent envoys to Egypt to get horses and a large army. Will he succeed? So it almost seems like this is happening at the time that Ezekiel is writing. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Will he break the treaty and yet escape? As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, he shall die in Babylon in the land of the king who put him on the throne, whose oath he despised and whose treaty he broke. Wow. So God says Zedekiah broke his oath with Nebuchadnezzar. And because remember, again, God was saying to Israel, submit to Nebuchadnezzar. If you do that, you will live. If you do not do that, you will die. So God has put them under Nebuchadnezzar. And so Zedekiah swears an allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, but now he tries to bring the Pharaoh to his rescue. And so Pharaoh with his mighty army and great horde will be of no help to him in war. When ramps are built, siege works erected to destroy many lives, He despised the oath by breaking the covenant because he had given his hand in pledge. And yet, although he did all these things, he shall not escape. And so actually Nebuchadnezzar conquered Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Zedekiah, we've already seen how things turned out in the end for him. Now, chapter 18. Chapter 18 is... Almost the whole chapter is talking about just this issue of individual responsibility for sin. And so 
he says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So this is the, this is the proverb that they're speaking. So basically, this was, this was one of those early times when it's people blaming somebody else for their behavior. So it's like, hey, it's my parents' fault. You know, it's our parents. You know, it's the way they brought us up. It's the way they taught us. It's the way, you know, what, so they're not taking responsibility for their own actions. They're pushing that off onto somebody else. That's basically what is being described here. And, but the Lord says to them, he says, no, that's not the way I see things. He says, the one who sins is the one who will die. So they're saying like, we're being punished for what our parents did. And God's like, no, you're not being punished for what your parents did. I don't, I don't work that way. And then he goes through and he, he gives some examples. He talks about a righteous man who is righteous. He's observably righteous. And he's great. He lives a righteous life. But then he has a son. And then his son decides he doesn't want to live a righteous life. So he lives a godless life, a rebellious life. And then his son comes along and sees the wicked life his dad lived and said, I don't want to live that way. I want to live for the Lord. So you've got a grandfather and a grandson who are living for the Lord. And then you get the dad in the middle who is not, you know, he's chosen to live for himself. And the whole point that God is making is that his dealings with people are fair. He's not going to punish the son because of the wickedness of the father. And he's not going to punish the father because of the wickedness of the son. Everyone is going to be accountable for their own behavior is the essence of what he's talking about. So in verse, into verse 17, he will not die for his father's sin. He will surely live, but his father will die for his own sin because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, did what was wrong among his people. And then a little bit further down, this is the, I have this Bible, you know, that is not, it's not like a verse by verse thing. It's a paragraph. So I'm, stuck trying to find what number we're at here and I have to (laughs) search it out. So I'm trying to remedy that by, see, nowadays I need a Bible with really big print. And so to find a Bible with really big print and kind of the verse by verse thing, I have yet to succeed, but I'm going to keep working on it. So the righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. But then he goes and he says, and this is beautiful, but if a wicked person turns away from all their sin, they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. And then verse 23, do I take any pleasure? Listen to this. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, I am not pleased. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? That's a heavy thing. God says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I mean, that's something for us to think about, isn't it? God does not delight in judging. And in Isaiah, maybe you remember when we were studying through that, 
there, there's a portion where God speaks about his strange work and he's talking about judgment because this is foreign to God. He doesn't want to judge. That's not his heart. And it's like Jesus said in the New Testament that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not create hell for human beings. He created it for the rebellious angels. But people will go there. God doesn't delight in that fact, but it is a fact. People will go there. But God, as he says here, rather am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live. So what a great promise. When the wicked turns away from their sin, God says they will live. That's God's heart. That's his desire. And we can't forget that. And the best way to not forget it is just think about yourself. God had mercy on me. You know, whenever I want to look at a group of people or a person and just think, gosh, judge them. They're horrible. You know, whatever. I got to stop and go, wait a second. Were it not for the grace of God, I would be right there. And God's heart is mercy and forgiveness. So chapter 19, take up a lament concerning the princes of Israel and say, now again, the princes of Israel, we're talking here about the kings of Israel. And we won't read this all, but let me just say, it's really interesting the description that God gives here. He speaks of this lion and he, he's, he's actually referring to the king of Judah. And he said, he prowled among the lions for he was a strong lion. He learned to tear the prey and he became a man eater. He broke down their strongholds and devastated their towns. The land and all who were in it were terrified by his roaring. This is a description of the king of Judah. And this is God's perspective on what the king is doing to the nation. So these were wicked, wicked rulers. Zedekiah, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, all of these men that were in this last season of the life and history of Judah, they were all incredibly corrupt rulers. Now, we could throw out some names about corrupt rulers that have been in our generation. And, you know, just think of anybody you want, Fidel Castro or Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or whoever. You know, think of, think of those, those, are, those are all people that, you know, everybody's glad that they are no longer around doing the things that they were doing. The kings of Judah were that in their generation. That's what they were. That's the kind of wickedness that we're talking about here. And so the Lord says, then the nations came against him. Those from regions roundabout, they spread their net for him and he was trapped in their pit. With hooks, they pulled him into a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They put him in prison. So his roar was heard no longer on the mountains of Israel. So God is judging the leaders of the nation. And the leaders of the nation, of course, their responsibility was to serve God and then help the nation serve God. And of course, they did the opposite. They served themselves and served idols and then led the nation into that too. So it's just an interesting description that he just describes them as a strong, roaring, man-eating lion. So, so heavy stuff. 
as we can see. There are some good things ahead. We just have to persevere and get to them. <laughs> so when we, when we get to the 30s, it'll get, it'll get better. For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.